The Super Hits Podcast goes back to 1979, and we're talking about The Pretenders and Brass in Pocket. Here we go. Welcome, everybody. Another edition of Super Hits Podcast, and... uh, as always, we're going to have some fun times on this show because it's uh, your regular pals coming on, but also another guest, uh, someone brave enough to join us for some music discussion. Uh, before I introduce our guest, though, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Alan <laughs> on all of the social medias. Slip with five eyes or slip. And Jamie, you're out there. Yeah, megamix.com, Jamie C uh, on a few social medias and my website, megamix.com.com. And I want to introduce Heather, who's joining us from lovely Virginia. Hey. <laughs> I believe nice, home nice of Hank. I get to meet you guys over the guy. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Home of Hangman Adam Page, I believe. I yes. Current, I could believe you would know. Yes. Aaron's Corner. Yeah. Yeah. Current current AEW World Heavyweight Champion for you wrestling nerds. So. Yes. So you and I. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the wrestling nerds. Yeah. Uh, so Heather sent a lengthy list of requests for songs, and then we decided, uh, why not uh, do this uh, together along with uh, the next song that we're going to be doing? But we're going to focus today on... Uh, a Heather request, which is Brass in Pocket by Pretenders. And before we get into all the details, Heather, I have to ask, why Brass in Pocket? Um, Brass in Pocket, just, it has a vibe. It's really cool. It's kind of chill. I know um, we'll get into it that Chrissy Hine wasn't all about the girl power kind of stuff. Um, I think it was more just kind of like owning like the whole vibe of not letting things phase you and you can you can kind of get what you want by using more more different ways of you know singing and right the reason why I, I like this song is it just has a really cool vibe a really good vibe that you can it you can listen to it it's a good driving song it's a good karaoke song which i'll get to because of lost in translation um but it's just iconic it's really iconic uh, on a personal note for me, my parents, when I was growing up, had a jukebox that played uh, yes. 45 RPM records. And until I started collecting records myself in 1997, I was it was limited to their very small collection. Like, they didn't swap records out. The records that they put in that jukebox whenever they bought it, those were the records for, <laughs> for like, 20 years. And... One of them was Brass in Pocket, which is how I got to know the song growing up. So so here's a question for you, because we haven't talked about here. You, you're a collector. How, were, were you ever sad that you didn't get your dirty mitts on that jukebox? So it it broke down. And I mean, there are people out there who will fix them. It was like a classic Sebring jukebox. So they're, it's not like, um, it's rare because it's old, but it's not rare as in, you know, it's it can't be fixed. Like there are people out there that know how to, service them the issue that we had was that uh, my parents moved out of their house and they couldn't take the jukebox with them and it was broken and i lived in a condo and there was no way i could hold it so if it was working i'd probably try to have found a way but what are you gonna do i remember that jukebox yeah yeah so uh anyways it sounds amazing it was it was good times but uh fantastic anyways uh how about we get into some background of brass in pocket All right, so Pretenders are an English-American rock band. They were formed in March of 1978. 
The original band consisted of founder and main songwriter Chrissy Hine, and there was also James Honeyman Scott on lead guitar, backing vocals and keyboards, uh, Pete Farndon with uh, bass guitar and backing vocals, and Martin Chambers on drums, backing vocals and percussion. And uh, two of those founding members passed away in the early 80s. Uh, Honeyman Scott passed away in 1982 and Farndon in 1983. I believe in both cases it was uh, substance abuse related. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, over the years, uh, Chrissy Hind is the only consistent member. Uh, she's originally from uh, Akron, Ohio, I believe home of one LeBron James. <laughs> yes. Uh, she moved to London in 1973 and worked with NME, uh, one of my favorite magazines back in the day yes uh she also worked at a uh, malcolm mclaren and or part uh, yeah malcolm mclaren and vivian westwood's uh clothes store she was involved in early versions of the clash and the damned and played short in short-lived bands like masters of the backside <laughs> interesting <names. laughs> and the moors murderers uh, in 1978, uh, Pretenders were formed after Dave Hill at Anchor, Anchor Records heard some demos of Heinz music. He arranged a rehearsal studio and uh, had a three-piece band available there for her, including Phil Taylor of Motorhead on drums. Oh, really? At the time. Uh, and uh, basically, you know, after hearing the demos, they felt that they had enough that there was going to be kind of a, a star band here. So Hind formed the band composed of all the members I mentioned earlier. They recorded five tracks at Regent's Park Studio in July of 1978. So while I was being born. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hind eventually named the band The Pretenders after the platter song, The Great Pretender, which was uh, the favorite song of one of her former boyfriends. Uh, the Pretenders um, had a ton of uh, songs and a ton of hits, particularly, I think, in the late 70s and uh, the first half of the 1980s, and uh, were prestigious enough that they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2005. Uh, before I go on to the uh, album and the song, uh, Heather, anything about The Pretenders that you think I missed or should mention? I know that she said Chrissy Hind... Um had said in an interview that as soon as she heard Jimmy Scott, um, she knew she was getting close um, to finding um, that that musical, um, you know, relationship with him um, that helped him kind of create that sound. Honeyman Scott, apparently he was the one that helped create that sound, that, kind, that guitar sound, especially um, when the band was doing a lot of their demos, the, the, the songs kind of would be kind of flat to begin with. But as she she Hind would go and work with them, they would create that that richer guitar sound together. And I know uh, I, I you know I'm not going to totally spoil it, but Mega Mix, I know you're not the biggest fan of this particular song. Is there anything by mm. the Pretenders that you're into? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Pretenders are great. I, I like I like uh, tracks like Talk of the Town, um, Precious. Uh, you know, um, obviously Back on the Chain Gang, all great tracks. Um, and I'll get to this when we review it. I just it just doesn't hit for me this this song, and and that's really it. I mean, other than that, I, I'm not a Pretenders completist in any way, shape, or form. But uh, you know, I have some songs in my library, and I definitely understand and get that uh, you know an influential act, uh, an influential artist um, with with a with a rich catalog. So their self-titled uh, debut studio album was released on December twenty seventh, nineteen seventy nine. 
off of Sire Records in the U.S. and then on January 7th, 1980, under Real Records in the U.K., uh, Nick Lowe produced The Pretender's first single, Stop Your Sobbing, but decided not to work with them again, as he thought the band was, quote, not going anywhere. That's the best. Uh, so Chris <laughs> Thomas took over with uh, subsequent recording sessions. The album reached number one in the UK and number nine in the US and sold well all over the world. It was named one of the best albums of all time by VH1 at number 52, and Rolling Stone ranked the album at number 155, on their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And then they actually bumped it up to 152 when they did the revision in 2020. So as for Brass in Pocket, it was third single off of the album. It was written by Chrissy Hind and James Honeyman Scott and produced by Chris Thomas. It originated as a guitar line that Scott played for Chrissy Hind. She then recorded the part with a tape recorder and wrote the song's lyrics. And musically, she described the song as trying to be a Motown song, but it didn't quite get it. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, despite the the fact that she says that, like, as soon as you think like Motown and I think of the song, I'm like, okay, I could I could see what you were going for. Yes. Well, I, I think I think also Chrissy's Chrissy's vibe kind of um, floated through different genres anyway, and she had a, a unique style of singing that um, couldn't couldn't be tapped into one one spot. Uh, so during an interview with The Observer in 2004, she revealed that she was initially reluctant to have the song released. She said, when we recorded the song, I wasn't very happy with it and told my producer that he could release it over my dead body. And uh, <laughs> of course, later reflected, uh, now I like the song because it's one of those songs that served me well. I mean, it made her a lot of money. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so the song clocks in at a tight three minutes and nine seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, if you, yeah. I don't know if you keep all the lengths on your uh, big spreadsheet there, Jamie, but uh, is, I, I do. Is this our shortest song? Do I not keep the links? I don't keep the links. Okay. Oh my God! This I've I've uh, the spreadsheet not uh, coming in handy today. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to add that. I'm going to say that it's probably right up there, in terms of or right down there in terms of links. Um, I do have a yeah, question. Three hundred nine. Mm-hmm. So so when you're calculating these links, do you also calculate um, the remix links? Well, I'll stick if I'm if I'm if I'm doing the spreadsheet, which of course is going to pay off down the road when we do a, a look at all the numbers. Uh-huh. You know, after maybe a year of recording, I wouldn't probably take the, the those into account just because. Okay, so I mean, we. I was wondering that today. Just because I try and keep it to one. I mean, we have a few instances on the show where we've done a few like different, um, like there's two versions or it's been released twice. So there's some mm-hmm. gray areas there. Yeah. So, so I, was listening, I was listening to. Um, it was a, a remix, but it, it ended up being almost an exact, like almost an extra minute long because the intro and the outro pretty much just kept on repeating the word special, just with music behind it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Which I was like, is this going to end? No, it's going it's going longer. Okay. <laughs> I, I think you make a good point. I think we do need to focus a little more on the show on, on the remixes. Yes. Uh, I think that's something to definitely take this as a jump off point. I'm making a note. Yeah. And ultimately, when it comes to certain things that we do on the show, when we make a decision, we just make it up. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. You make a new rule. There's no science (laughs) at all. So it's great. Um, So interestingly, when it comes to uh, different releases, uh, if you go to Discogs, the song is actually listed 
separately two times. Uh, so mm-hmm. there are 11 versions of the song listed under the title Brass in Pocket, open parentheses, I'm special, close parentheses. Ugh, I hate it. Uh, which is yeah. the version that my parents had uh, from 1979 to 1980. And these are largely the releases from Canada and the US, though there are also uh, Japan, Mexico, Argentina, and Belgium. But it was for Canada and the US. So I guess people had to know like the I'm special song was called Brass in Pocket. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> it makes me so mad. <laughs> Uh, I own the Canadian release off of Sire Records with the B-side being a track called Space Invaders. That's amazing. Uh, the, uh, the Brass in Pocket version, there are 35 versions were uh, released across Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and parts of Africa. And this one has two B-side tracks. One is Swinging London and the second one is Nervous But Shy. Uh, so uh, I don't know, Heather, if you have any of these versions or if you have a preference or... No, I, I'm kind of just, um, no, I do not have them. I'm, I'm a person who maybe has either, I either watched them as a kid on MTV or heard it on the radio um, or now stream it when I, you know, use Spotify. Uh, I, uh, I like the, uh, the, the, the three minute nine version the best, <laughs> the shortest. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so another question for you, Heather, when you were growing up, did you ever buy compilation albums? You know what? I did not buy compilation albums. However, as a child, you know how you used to have those time life music, like record, you know, compilations you could get. Uh I used to really enjoy, um, trying to memorize the songs in order. So when it would pop up on TV, I could sing along with it. Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) I was such a geek. I loved it though. And if, as I was doing this research, when I was looking up to see if they were on any compilations, and there there was a couple of those compilations that I still to this day knew um, which order the songs were coming in, and I haven't haven't thought of that before um, or since then until just now. <laughs> so great, so good stuff. So the song appears on many compilations. Here's a couple that I've noted. Uh, two again from growing up in Canada. One was called Street Wave. Uh, oh, Street Wave. Yeah, and the second one is Rock 80. These are both 1980 compilations off of KTEL Records in Canada. Yes, uh, KTEL Records with the Winnipeg Connection. Yes. Uh, it appeared on BBC's TV's Best of Top of the Pops, Volume 8. And it was also on Certified Gold and Certified Gold Volume 2. So <laughs> two different Certified Gold albums uh, by KTEL Records in the U.S. KTEL is such a... a um like a dog's breakfast of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, I found Polytel to always be better at quality, but uh, KTEL just, they put out anything. Shots fired anything. at KTEL. Jeez. Yes. Um, it sounds not, like, like KTEL is level. the time life of, of Canada then. Pretty much. Like a, probably a low rent time life, right? Okay, yes. got it. Definitely low rent. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, like time, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely time. I was going to... Yeah, I'm not going to give kudos to KTEL. Um, so you had mentioned in the intro the lost in translation usage in uh, in film. Do you want to, uh, Heather, give us some more detail on that as well as anywhere else where you recall seeing this uh, song? The majority of the, the places I've seen, I as a kid, I just remember that one in heavy rotation as a kid on MTV. That it, And that was the one thing I did hear in an interview. The reason why... 
they actually had a video ready to go for MTV so early in, in their their you know the years of MTV was because. In Britain, they had Top of the Pops, and they had other uh, music programs, and they had to make um, film clips, is what they would call them, um, which ended up being music videos. And so when MTV started up, they ended up having all these, you know, British, you know, the British Invasion type videos that popped over there. So I was definitely brought up with with MTV and those videos. Um, And then as far as Boston Translation, I think that's where I kind of return to like my liking of the song it had always been something you kind of heard on easy listening stations in the 90s or late 90s but in the early days it was pretty rocking and then when you saw scarlett johansson karaokeing with bill murray it's just such uh, a moment in time i don't know it's such a good movie and it she she sings it really good i don't know yeah, it's a it, bit of an iconic movie moment especially for yes i didn't want to overuse 2000s. the word iconic but that is what it is it's one of those things Absolutely. you look at it and you hear the song and you go straight to that moment yeah, I'm the guy who just overblows it. It's iconic. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, well, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, did you get MTV early on? Because in Canada, uh, you could get MTV if you owned a satellite dish uh, in oh, the 80s. Yes. But other than that, uh, we our music was... Uh, we had a station <laughs> called Much Music, which was yeah. later in the 80s. And other than that... Our music videos were contained to like half hour programming on CBC had one. And then like Saturday morning, I think there was a kind of a hit show probably on NBC or something like during cartoons. Oh, yes. Like we, I would say, I remember even just being probably pre-KH. I was born in 79. So I'm guessing uh, probably early 80s. It was in those early years when you had the cable box literally connected with a wire to your TV. Oh, um, yeah, good stuff. So good. So jealous. I will say, and, and, and Alan and I are, I mean, I'm 77, 70, he's 78. Um, I mean, it's such a different uh, way to grow up <laughs> musically in Canada it. than it was in the U.S. I mean, everything, it, especially when you're this age, uh, during, you know, the 80s and the early 90s, uh, you know, we didn't quite get the access that, that, no. that you would have had in the U.S. It's uh, so unfortunate. <laughs> Because yeah, we I was like tuning into Casey Kasem on Saturday mornings during cartoons to get oh, like yeah. my top ten fix. Uh, you couldn't get you know MTV. We didn't have a satellite dish. You know we had basic cable in Canada, which was like twelve channels. Yeah. So you know I'm definitely I would say envious that you would have that uh, that access to all that music. It's it's so great. Uh. I it was it was a good childhood. I I can remember just. Walking around my house dressed up as Cindy Lauper and Madonna, oh, and <laughs> your so typical good. little little kid uh, child raised by the eighties. Well, Jamie we used to always Jamie, a little bit behind. Jamie used to dress up as Easy E, and then later as Eddie Vedder. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I did definitely did that. <laughs> I dressed up as I, no one because I, I didn't know anything cool. <laughs> uh, all right, do you want to talk about the lyrics? Yes. All right, so the song title came after the Pretenders' first ever UK gig when they were in the dressing room with another band called The Strange Ways, whom they were supporting, and Chrissy Hind wanted to know um, whose trousers were sprawled over the back of a chair, and one of The Strange Ways, Ada Wilson, said, I'll have them if there's any brass in the pockets, which is slang yes. for money. 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 <laughs> Love it. Uh, so of the song's meaning, Hind stated... The tradition of brass in pocket is that you're supposed to be kind of cocky and sure of yourself. You're not supposed to go on stage and say, I'm small and I have no confidence and you think I'm a shit uh, because 
you can't just do that on stage. You're not supposed to. And probably you don't have much confidence. And you do think you're a little piece of shit. Or else yes. you would have gotten a rock, or you, you wouldn't have gotten a rock band together in the first place. So basically, again, it's about uh, confiance, as the French would All say. About confidence. Uh-huh. Yes. So Rolling Stone magazine critic Ken Tucker said the song uses an iron fist as a metaphor for Heinz's sexual clout. Rolling Stone album guide critic J.T. Considine describes the song as sassy. Uh, that made me laugh. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, author Simon Reynolds similarly describes Heinz vocals as pure sass and a feline narcissism. Glad that these male writers are uh, are giving their opinions, right? We're all They're sassy awful. cats. Yeah. All girls are sassy cats. Yeah. Heather, we, we you're bringing sass to this podcast, I guess. Hey. Yeah. Uh, feline sass. <laughs> so there is some British slang in the lyrics. We have uh, terms like get, or sorry, got bottle, which is to have courage. Skank, which is move your body side to side. Not what we in North America <laughs> think of that term. Uh, no, I think of skank like when you're listening to ska music. Back, do you uh, remember yep. people used to yep. skank dance? Yeah, or like reggae music, they'll do it too. Yeah, uh, reet is righteous. Again, brass for money, and uh, pulling a girl means finding a companion for the evening. I think it means more than that, but you know, uh, <laughs> dexies are uh, dexedrine pills. I don't know if I'm saying that drug right. <laughs> uh, gives the user a jolt of energy. And at the time of this song, Dexia Abuse was common in the UK, and supposedly uh, this was also one of the influences for the name Dexie's Midnight Mart Runners. Oof. Uh-huh. And from <laughs> one quote from Song Meanings, one of our favorite sources. Yes. <laughs> Smoke Laurent said, I think Brass in Pocket is a gender play on having brass balls. <laughs> oh, come on. So, oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts, Heather, on the lyrics? I kind of it was a kind of for the phrase um, reach when I when I looked it up it also I kind of did a small deep dive. Um, it said righteous jargon of the jazz age. I know that she also said that she was a big fan of of um, U.S. artists and um, satirist uh, Robert Crumb, and she said he, she was a big fan of his comic books. And one cartoon of his had this pot gauge. Uh, a machine for measuring really good quality of marijuana. And if it was good stuff, they would call it Reet Petite. Wow. So then I Googled Reet Petite. And it it also refers back to a song from 1957 by Jackie Wilson called Reet Petite. And so they, um, it says writers borrowed the phrase from band leader Louis Jordan's song Reet Petite and Gone from um, the 1940s jazz R&B fame. Frame. Jazz I- R&B fame. I just love oh. how uh, music in the good old days sneaking in references to drugs. Yes. That's so yeah. great. But it, that it can... was like such a deep dive. I looked at one thing and I kept on falling down a little rabbit hole. So I thought that was kind of the, I like the singing. I like the lyrics. I think uh, it's uh, fantastic. I think it's a, a very unique uh, song, especially for the era. It's not overly simplistic. It's got some uh, great little inside references. I think a little little treasures in there to uh, to uncover. So you know, I have no beef with with the lyric with the lyrics or the vocals on this track. That's a good way of putting it. Little treasures. <laughs> Should we talk about reception? Heck yes. yeah! All right. So this became the band's biggest hit to that point. It reached number one in the UK and number fourteen in the US. So this entered the Billboard 100 chart in the U.S. on February 16th, 1980, 
Again, peaking at number 14 on May 31st. It spent 22 weeks on the chart in total. Uh, a surprising question, I think, for you both coming out of nowhere. Would you both like to know the top 10 songs for Always. February? Yes, February. Or yes, sorry. Please. Uh, Mar- May 31st, 1980. All right. Let's do it. And number one, Lip Sync with Funky Town. Number two, Blondie with Call Me. Uh, number three, Paul McCartney and Wings coming up live at Glasgow. Number four, uh, Kenny Rogers with Kim Carnes, Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer. At number five, Dr. Hook with Sexy Eyes. Dr. Hook, by the way, gross, uh, some of their songs. I know. Uh, I don't even know them. Oh, yeah, yeah, lots I'm of not songs. Not much, okay. Lots of songs. They like the young ladies if you listen to their uh, songs. Uh, Ambrosia with Biggest Part of Me is at number six. Uh, the Brothers Johnson with Stomp, exclamation point, at number seven. Uh, Linda Ronstadt with Hurt So Bad at number eight. Bob Seger and Against the Wind at number nine. And Gary Newman with Cars at number 10. I would call this top 10 a hit and miss. That's a mixed bag. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, In terms of charting around the world, this was a top 10 hit in numerous countries. A lot of uh, countries in Europe. Uh, Belgium at number five. France, Mm -hmm. number four. Netherlands, number seven. Uh, it was a number one track in South Africa, Sweden, the United Kingdom, and Ireland. And in terms of year-end lists, uh, Australia, its greatest success for the 1980 charts. It was uh, number five for the year in the U.S., number 41. In Canada, it was number 42 for the year. And uh, it doesn't say in the U.K., but I would assume pretty high there. Uh, and that's, uh, that's largely it. I don't see anything in terms of... Uh, in terms of awards or anything like that. Again, Heather, before I move on, did I miss anything? No, you did great. Yes. So I was doing a quick, uh, I was trying to quickly, uh, re- you know, look up something and I mistakenly typed in bras in pocket. So. Uh, well done. <laughs> Good job, buddy. You know what? So uh, it's, uh, I don't have the Canadian uh, charts, which is what I'm imagining you're th- you're trying to find, but. The uh, brass in pocket, I got it at number six. Do you want to hear? Um, what some of the top 10 were in Canada around that time. Uh, which week was this? This would be June 7th, 19, June 21st, 1980. All right, yes, let's hear the top okay. 10 in Canada, please. Brass in Pocket is six, so it's close enough. Uh, it's probably the week before, but I don't have the week right after anyway on this. So we got Cars at number one, Call Me at number two by Blondie, Pilot of the Airwaves by Charlie Dore, Dore <laughs> at number three, uh-huh. Air Supplies Lost in Love at number four, uh, Kenny Rogers with Don't Fall in Love with the Dreamer at number five. Brass and Pocket, we got Coming Up by Paul McCartney there. Um, Boz Skaggs, Breakdown Dead Ahead at number eight. <laughs> uh, Billy Preston and Cyrita with I'm with You, I'm Born Again. And at number 10, Funky Town. So that's the top 10 The in Canada. The week Brass and Pocket was at number six. So that's a you know decent little cross-section of what it would have been when they were at number, at peak number five. Uh, I've got a short section on covers and samples, but uh, let's dive into it. Ooh, I have one. I hope you don't have it. Okay. Well, uh, the one, the main one that I noted was it was covered by Suede for NME's uh, charity compilation Ruby Tracks in 1992. If you don't know who Suede is, uh, again, this will bug you, Jamie. In Canada and the yep. U.S., they'd be known as London Suede. 
London suede, like the Charlatans UK or Bush X. Yeah. Um, I listen to this track. I'm a, I'm not a massive suede fan, but I do like quite a bit of their stuff. And for the first 30 seconds, I was not into it. But as the song went along, it sounded more and more like the suede that I've heard. And I was like, all right, it's not bad. Other than that, I didn't note any others that stood out. So, Heather, it's over to you. This girl brings all the boys to the yard. Who do you Ooh. think covered it? Kellis. Yes. <laughs> so she she did a cover. I was watching it on YouTube right before um, I popped on, and then um, Annie DeFranco, um, she did she did a cover of it on an album called "Good Night Songs for Rebel Girls." All right. Nice. Yeah. I thought those were fun times. I was surprised at the lack of covers listed, and again, we're only I'm only using who sampled, so you know there may be maybe way more out there, and I I could imagine, and in fact, um, if uh, you look at set list. Dot .fm um it says that the song was played 570 times in concert by 25 different artists uh besides mm. the pretenders yeah so, i would see this being a, a lot of live covers by you know um 90s bands i would think yeah you know and so they you know who sampled wouldn't quite pick that up i mean you can look it up and there's a a, a jam of brass in pocket with uh, Eddie Vedder singing it on the summer tour of 92, they've probably covered it in other uh, areas as well. I mean, I, I see them uh, covering it multiple times. So just Pearl Jam on its own has, uh, you know, Brass and Pocket covers sprinkled throughout their, their live sets over the years. Does Pearl Jam covering the song raise it a notch with you, Jamie? Um, no. Okay. It should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, looking on, I'm looking on YouTube right now. Faith Hill has done it. Yeah. Um, but it's all live. Like you said, I think that's a very, a very good observation there. Yeah. I see yeah. Macy Gray having done some versions uh, of this in the live shows, uh, a band that I'm yeah. not familiar with called Smoking Goats. <laughs> Smoking Goats. Yep. You know them? I've heard of them. Yeah. yeah. Cooler than me. I see one time by Ashley Simpson. I hope that she wasn't lip syncing it. <laughs> oh, <she's> so- <laughs> and then she did a hoedown afterwards. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, let's uh, talk this music video. Okay. Yes. This one, Heather, I'm going to put over to you to talk about, to start off with, other than one fact that I'll drop, which is this was the seventh video that was aired on MTV after its launch on August 1st, 1981. Uh, If you want to know the first 10 videos, go back to our review of Video Killed the Radio Star. We've listed it there. But uh, over to you. What do you think? A lot of white people is all we have to say. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Okay, so um, I'm just going to open it with what Vulture.com described the video. It says, less than a minute into the music video, we see Teddy Boy coiffed bassist Pete Pete Farndon maneuvering a pink whale of an automobile toward a diner where the singer Chrissy Hind is waitressing. And so it says the three pretenders are all riding along, and they're each British, and they're British, okay, as is most of the slang in the song, but the car is definitely American, steering wheels on the left-hand side. In an interview with 2016, in 2016 with uh, Louder Magazine, Hines said that her idea was um, that that the band would show up on motorbikes and she would ride off and, and cast off her apron and ride off into the sunset. However, it's not quite that case. Nope. Uh, nope. It, and to me, I think it's to its detriment. She and the thing is, I don't think that the director saw that she had this like alpha female persona to her, and they mostly had just said, "No, we're gonna." 
we're gonna have you be a waitress and kind of try to show all these all these things that you are you know all this confidence but then at the end no we're gonna have girls come in we're gonna drive straight off <laughs> um i will note that my my husband's favorite part of the of the video every time it's on is can you guess special oh yes 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 <laughs> i'm like i'm i'm scrubbing here trying to find this part because I've, I've only watched it once yeah like, so I'm like, oh, I'm scrubbing yeah. furiously on my second screen so when the uh when yeah. the uh band is sitting there and she comes to take their order uh when it, and it's at the part where they say i'm special they hold up the the, uh, the menus menu. and it says yes. special on it so yes there it is i see it right now yeah amazing yeah yeah it's so cool it's cool in a cheesy way but then at the yeah. same time i'm like man okay I remember watching this video as a kid, thinking to myself that like Hein shows so much more confidence singing um, in her song than what I see as her as a waitress character in the video. And the fact that like the male bandmates got to have all the swagger and she's like all meek, like pining after them at the end of the video. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, she's not meek. <laughs> but what do you guys think? Well, the one the one part that got my attention, I totally agree with you. Like, you know, I thought. Uh, that this video would end with her with all the guys or with one of the guys at least, right? And yeah. there is and there is moments in this where she's actually eyeing up one of the guys and, and he's clearly interested. Yes. But then he leaves with his lady friend, right? Uh, and Chrissy Hind is left looking out the window at, uh, yeah. at everything. So I was surprised that it didn't end with kind of a, a win for her, but maybe maybe the maybe the message is I don't need to. I don't need to win over these guys in order to feel good. I don't really know what it was because when it, when she didn't end up with them, I was kind of like, this video is just a bunch of things that are happening. It's 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 explaining the lyrics, but not. I don't know. Like she's my husband. My husband had said like, you know, but she's showing confidence. She's checking herself in the mirror. She's kind of you know walking around really, really confident. And I said, but the end, it just it nixes all that rest of the song. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that as well. I think it uh, it definitely falls flat on that. I'm not surprised it being uh, from 1980. So um, it doesn't surprise me that it kind of just kind of petered out a little bit at the end. I was more interested in knowing what are on the jukebox <laughs> behind the table and if maybe she's singing along to the song in the jukebox. Oh, that would be great. That would have been fun. So maybe she is just a waitress. Not maybe she's not even playing herself. She's playing a waitress singing along to herself. You know what? What she needed to do was she needed to wait for four years for the ZZ Top guys to come along in their car and hand her the car keys and like doll her up so that she could win over yes. all the guys. You know there you As go. We a few minutes ago, that's where my mind started going towards. Like, why couldn't it have been the legs video versus? <laughs> yes. the, even though that's so not high either, and I think that she's above being dolled up. She's she's badass because she's just her. I would yeah. uh, I would say leave this in its kind of as its its own thing in its own time period. Uh, I, I you know and we'll get to it when we talk about what, what our reviews and ratings are. But uh, definitely the video I think it, it was it was it was unique for the time. And I would say that um, the the video in its time had a, had a decent amount of production value. I mean, it wasn't Michael Jackson production value, but most of the videos that started out are, you know, video killed the radio star. It all It's like the same quality, but this one at least had a storyline with it. It had 
a nice nice ride that rolled in in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I will give it credit for that as well. So let's uh, let's do some ratings and and Heather, we'll start with the music video and we'll let you uh, go first from a uh, uh, scale of uh, I guess we're gonna do zero to ten. I initially thought it was one to ten, but Jamie, you've been it's talking zero. about saving a zero, so let's go from zero to ten. How would you rate the video? Um, Man, I can't believe there will be a video out there that gets a zero, but I'm sure oh, there is. there will be. Uh, <laughs> oh, then that makes me happy to hear that there's going to be some some spiciness. Okay, I think that this is a solid seven. I think it's a solid seven. Seven. Because I'm thinking about for its time, it was it was um, well produced. It wasn't just concert footage. There was actually a concept put into it. And I'll say Chrissy Hine did really good kind of acting. I know mm -hmm. she's being a waitress, but she, she looks she did really good. Yeah, I, I gave it a seven. I gave it seven. a I gave it a six, and uh, so the pros are kind of the same as what you mentioned that it's it's well produced, it's it's an actual view, music video, it's not just concert footage. It has a story. The story makes sense with the song. Uh, the car is bitching. So uh, the only downside again is that the end of the story kind of falls flat, and it's like it what? Goes, womp, womp. Yeah, uh, I think that if she wins over the guy and gives you that happy ending, then uh, that probably vaults us up to an eight for me. But I'm going to give it a six. Uh, Jamie? Well, you like your uh, you like your storylines in videos. Yes. So I can see where you're coming from. I'm going to give it a six as well. I appreciate the video for the time it's in. And I actually had never seen it. So I was actually pleasantly surprised because around this time, as, you, uh, as we talked about, all you would be seeing is performance clips. Um, and like you said, especially from the acts based in the UK, a lot of top of the pops uh, or or just a, a, a live setting. Um, so this was, I would say, a little bit of a, uh, a treat for me. Uh, I did enjoy it. I thought that it, it did showcase um, the group uh, in kind of a, you know, a fun way. And uh, for, this, for the time, I think it was a, a pretty good effort. So yeah, six out of 10 for me. All right, Heather, the song. I'm giving the song an eight. Yeah, I think an eight is good. Um, I mean, the... the Actually, you know what? I'm bumping it. I'm giving it. I'm giving it a half a point if I can. Eight point. You can because she. The, it's the sprinkling of all the, all the um, the lingo. I think the fact that she had all that thro you know thrown inside, of the song. It like I said, it made me do a deep dive to learn what everything was, and I I got a little little uh, lesson on on the song. So yes, I'm I'm bumping it to an eight point five. Nice. Uh, I'm giving it an eight. Uh, there's a nostalgia factor there because of the old record player. Um, I always thought it was a good song. I like that it's uh, it's you know about confidence and uh, you know like singing about. I think I also read somewhere in doing my research that initially they were thinking that it would be your special instead of I'm special. Oh yes, they did. They yeah. did um, it, that, and it's actually on. Um, I had that on my notes. Um, what it was is on one of the demos. Have you listened to the demos? Sorry I have not. Kind of no. Okay, so I listened to the demos. The demos are so flat. They are so flat. And it was the guitar, the, like I said, the guitar kind of when they retuned how they wanted to make that guitar sound, kind of have like that that echoey kind of sound to it. Um, they they also put out a demo version that had the, the I'm special... Or no, what, what did we say? You're special, your special, yeah. You're special, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that it's right here from Loudersound.com. Interestingly, the demo of Brass in Pocket that appears on Rhino's 2007 two-CD re-release of the Pretender's self-titled debut album has somewhat different lyrics. 
Heinz sings, you're special, rather than the cockier, much more self-assured, I'm special on the finished <laughs> version. Ta-da. Yeah, and, wow. I think, and I think the I'm special is great. And so, yeah, that's one of the main reasons. I'm going to give this an eight, but Jamie, over to you. Oh, you know, and I feel so bad. Um, I've never liked this song ever. Um, I didn't. I didn't have this in my library, and I have multiple Pretender songs. I'm going to make a reference here, and I, I, Heather, I don't know if you know the show. It's a. It's a. It's a Canadian-based uh, uh, comedy show from the '90s called The Kids in the Hall. Yeah. Okay, so when Kids in the Hall, and I don't know what season it was. I mean, I, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. There was a sketch, and it was more of a song. But what happens is at the start of the the start of the song, the start of the sketch. Kevin McDonald is, uh, you know, she, he's dressed as, as a woman. She's got her dog and she's talking about, oh, I just love him. I love him so much. Look at him. Look at his face. Oh, I just love him. And Bruce McCullough looks at her and goes, no, I don't like him. And then proceeds <laughs> to sing a song about how he only likes terriers. Uh -huh. I feel a little bit like Bruce McCullough. Is that there's really no reason to not like the dog that, that she likes. Um, it's a perfectly fine dog, but he likes other things. For me, I just feel like him. I'm like, I just don't like it. Um, and to me, it's the music. It's not the. It's not the. Um, it's not the lyrics. It's not. Uh, it's not the singing. It's. Uh, it's just. I find this to be thin and uninteresting. It feels like elevator music to me, like something I would hear in, uh, you know, walking through a um, Walmart. I'm giving it a two. Oh, oh damn! Ooh, that's a bit. I liken this to yeah. I liken this to when we when and I wasn't on the episode when Night Moves by Bob Seger was reviewed, but it's right there for me. I couldn't give it more than one star in my music library, so I'm going to put it at the top of my one star scale, which is between zero and two. It's a <laughs> two. Um, but I totally understand why people love this song. Just for me, it doesn't. It doesn't get there for me. You're and missing when I was the nostalgia ranked, of it, I think, maybe. No, there was no nostalgia for me exactly. where something like when we were talking about holiday rap weeks ago, I was like, oh, holiday rap is fun. I kind of think it's fun. See, I would, have given, that a, I would have given that a zero. Yeah, and see, I gave it a three, and I feel like I couldn't give it higher than that. I'm giving it a two. Uh, my apologies to you both and to all of our listeners. I, I feel the same way about holiday rap, kind of the opposite of your logic here, where it's like, I think I gave it a five or six because i of the nostalgia factor totally understand why someone would give it a zero and you gave it a set you gave holiday rap a seven and i totally get why you guys both gave it an eight and an 8.5 by the way heather nice work on the 0.5 you were the second uh person to ever give a 0.5 i gave 1999 a 7.5 on our first episode that, that was my last minute addition. I had it at my solid number, but then I started thinking. And I, I will say that I almost got swayed a little by your love of brass and pocket, but I I dug in. I was going <laughs> to see, should I move it up to three? But then if I move it up to three, I got to move it up to a two stars in my library. I was like, no way. Um, I wanted to mention in a callback, while we've been doing this episode, I have been frantically doing all the times of the songs, the single versions of all the songs that we reviewed over the past now uh, 31 weeks, 31 episodes, sorry, uh, that's 16 weeks. This is the shortest song that, nice. we, that we have done. Just two seconds better than theme from Greatest American Hero, aka oh. Believe It or Not. Nice. I used to love that show. It's <laughs> a <laughs> so good thing that we, didn't, we weren't doing that with you and this because I would have been piping off on that one as well. Well, I think business is going to pick up for all of us next week in terms yes. of our rankings because, uh, Heather, you've asked us to cover some new kids on the block. Yes. So we're yes. going to do some boy band action in a week. 
for you Pretenders fans that want to send us, uh, and particularly Jamie, your hate mail, it's superhitspodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Hit us up on all the social medias at superhitscast on Twitter, at superhitspodcast on Instagram. Heather, if you have any uh, socials or plugs that you want to do, this is the time. All right. Well, my socials are just me being a mom doing random rad mom stuff, so I'm sure you wouldn't be interested. However, um, I'd like to plug one one uh, podcast that might interest you guys, since yes. you guys do love professional wrestling. Yes. It's called the Fully Posable Wrestling Figure Podcast, and it's hosted by my high school friend Jeff and his brother Scott. And um, they were featured on Netflix as The Toys That Made Us and have been lifelong fans of wrestling and fig life. And Alan, they even discuss Funko Pops. Uh-huh. Uh, so you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook. At fully um, at, at fully posable, and on Instagram, it, their handle is at fully posable WFP. So hit them Put up. It right really now. Yeah, me and right. uh, me and Jamie have both been into Funko Pops, and then I think my fandom of Funko Pops really exploded during the pandemic. But then uh, Jamie also pivoted to wrestling figures when he got. We've always been wrestling fans, but I think uh, particularly Jamie's interest was reignited with the AEW. Uh, so. He's got yes, lots of absolutely. Things. I am following Fully Posable right now. I'm, I'm excited. I've got a few uh, wrestling figures from AEW uh, in the mail and coming. I'm very excited. Um, they are all on display and have been knocked over by my new kittens many, many times. So <laughs> oh, yeah. thank They're you for the recommendation, Heather. Um, I'm, do, I'm giving them a follow right now. I'm going to add it to my podcast feed. And uh, I'm excited to, uh, to give a listen. And I will be, will be following you for your rad mom posts as well. And, uh, <laughs> and Jamie, what are your uh, socials? Uh, Megamix.com, Twitter, Instagram, and Megamix.com.com is my website. And uh, we will see you all in a few days with NKOTB. Thanks, Heather. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks, Bye. Bye, friends.